Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 584 for February 28th, 2019. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. Our guest today, if you're into small business, you might know him from the Small Business Show. If you are a musician or you just like hearing musicians talk about being musicians, you might have heard of him from the Gig Gab podcast. You might read material on the Mac Observer that he owns. You might listen to the Mac Geek Gab. It is none other than Dave Hamilton. How are you today, Dave? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Allison. How's that for an introduction? Uh, you made you sound a, real good. You did. I know. <laughs> it's always better <laughs> when somebody else comes up with how to describe me. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I skipped backbeat media, but there. You did. Now I got it in. That's there. right. That, yeah. At least you thought you did. That's right. <laughs> well, I asked Dave to come on the show to talk uh, mostly about mesh routers because he has become the de facto expert testing all of them. Uh, apparently, mostly to torture his family by changing the network every couple hours. Is that right? Um, my family is a great litmus test because if they don't notice anything, then that's success. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Sometimes right. though they notice, so that's not success, but you know, that's how these <laughs> things go. So, yeah. Well, I wanted to kind of get into the tech of mesh routing and ask you some questions I've put together here. Um, sure. The, the the first question I have, and I, I don't actually know, some of these I know the answer to, some of them I do not. How is a mesh router actually different than a traditional router with an extender, a range extender? What what What's actually different about that? Yeah, that's a good question, especially with current extenders. You know, I'm not going to go back in time to the extenders that sucked and didn't work. But, but with current extenders, fundamentally, the idea that you've got your main router and then this remote access point uh, that's connected wirelessly, like that's the same as what happens with mesh routers, right? There's a wireless connection between the access points and, and well, amongst the access points, but eventually back to the main router. And so it, that that is, at that level, it's the same. That's about where it changes, though. Many, but not all, uh, extenders will create their own network name. Uh, we're seeing less and oh. less of that, right, over time. Okay. But but a lot of them, it'll be like, you know, we'll call it Netgear extension or something like that. You, you know, so you've got my, my Wi-Fi yeah. network and then Netgear extension. And you have to choose which one you're connected to. Your devices have to choose. And that's non-optimal, especially with the way Apple devices do it by choosing based on the priority list, not necessarily based on signal strength. Um, right, so, right. right. So – so with mesh routers, that's one difference that you get one single SSID, you see one network advertised and you you tell your device to connect. And then in theory, it connects to the best one. Now, this is also where mesh can be better. Not every mesh is equal, but mesh can be better because A, you have one interface where you manage everything. So you go in, you change your SSID or you change your password or something about the the network and everything changes. You don't have to then log into the extenders or the, you know, to, to change them and match them and right. all that stuff. So it's simpler, but also the mesh knows what the mesh knows. So with an extender, it knows what devices are connected to it, but it doesn't know anything about the router. The router doesn't know anything about the extender except that the extender is connected. That's it. So oh, they okay. right so they can't be smart and say, "Hey, wait a minute. You're overloaded over there. I've got nothing connected to me. Why don't you tell some of your devices to to jump to me?" And and let's balance this thing out. That can, it doesn't 
happen with every mesh, but with mesh that can happen because the mesh knows what's happening everywhere on the mesh. So, so there's this potential for things to be a lot smarter, but it, the, the big thing is much simpler. Um, and, and so that's, that's the main uh, difference between mesh and, and just sort of normal extenders. Okay. Extenders have gotten different though, because a lot of this mesh tech has been baked into some extenders like night uh, Netgear has their Nighthawk mesh products, which are sort of like kind of sort of extenders, but also doing some meshy things and ubiquity's oh, am- amplify has some of those too. So it, the lines are blurred for I, sure. Yeah. I'm surprised on that on, because I remember interviewing Netgear, not this year, but I think it was last year at CES. And I was talking to the guy about their extenders and he said flat out, do not buy our extenders. But that was before things have changed. Yeah, I think think Nighthawk Mesh was something that it was a software update. They rolled out mid 2018. Oh, okay. And and the cool part was if you had a compatible uh, extender, you you know, it truly was just a software update and it was free. Like you could just do it. And now you start getting these meshy things. Yeah. So that's kind of nifty. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So. My next question, uh, Dave and I have talked about offline because it, 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 we have interesting perspectives on this, is one of the thing, concerns I have with mesh routers is that you do have one SSID, so you can't separate the 2.4 gigahertz network by name from the 5 gigahertz network. And some of the IoT devices, at least in the past, were real cranky about they had to have 2.4. And if you if they saw 5, boom, they wouldn't wouldn't work at all. So how do you deal with that? Why does that happen? What's sure. Story? Yeah. So first of all, most of your IoT devices will only talk 2.4 gigahertz. The good news is that most right. of them will do just fine when you set them up in a mesh environment. And the reason that <laughs> most of them do just just fine is because your phone or most IoT devices, you set them up with some app on your phone, it Bluetooths to the device and it passes along your Wi-Fi credentials and then the device can participate on its own. And most of the time, your phone actually passes along your SSID and your password. And then the IoT device says, cool, find me a network named Allison's Wi-Fi. And boom, you know, you're good to go. When that happens, everything's fine. Even if your phone's on, you know, the five gigahertz version of Allison's Wi-Fi, it tells the, the, the IoT device, find Allison's Wi-Fi. Here's the password. It finds the 2.4 gigahertz version and everything's good. That's what happens most of the time, especially nowadays. But you're right. Uh, there were some and probably still are some IoT devices that are not quite so smart. So what your phone does is instead of saying, here's the name of the network that I'm connected to, it says, here's the hardware Mac address of the radio to which I'm connected And of course, if your phone's connected to a five gigahertz radio and it passes that hardware address along to the IoT device, the IoT device dutifully says, cool, I'll find that. It looks around and because it has a 2.4 gigahertz radio in it and nothing else, it says, nope, don't see it. And then it can't connect. So this is. Is that a mistake by the phone or is that the software in the IoT device? uh, It's either the software in the like it's the software from the IoT device vendor. It might be the software okay. in the phone or the software in the IoT device in the app. itself. It, okay. Yeah, it's right, correct. Okay. Yep. It's it's not the phone OS that's causing it though. It would be the app that came with the device. Correct. Yeah. I yeah. see. And I most see. of okay. them you it to, to be fair, I go all over the country and I talk about mesh Wi-Fi and all this stuff. You are literally the only person that's ever come to me and and 
told me about this problem. I know it exists. I, I mean, I, you can search online and find other people that have run into it. But personally, you're the only person I've experienced with this. So so I, I think the, that's good news, right? Because it means that the the amount of IoT devices that are out there that are doing this incorrectly are limited and hopefully dwindling in number. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, good. <laughs> that makes me feel better because mm. my I'm afraid that my cur- my current brain is still remembering. You know, well, back when I had a slide rule, this was true. So <laughs> right, right, yeah, and I think there's some of that here, right? Like some of those first IoT. Dev- I mean, they were like terribly insecure, and uh, you, you know, I mean, there were a lot of mistakes made with those things, and you know, not power efficient and all that stuff. So yeah, we we've gotten yeah. better. Yeah. So these these questions might not be in the right order, but uh, I'm going to jump around a little bit here. Routers today have words like AC2600, and they say that this 2600 is the speed. But I hear you talk, and and I hear you talk about the math behind that. How is what what are those numbers? What do they really mean? Yeah, so their marketing speak is what they really are, and uh, and they're misleading. They are. In a in a very general sense, the speed of the router, if you were using all of the radios simultaneously to connect to, say, one device. But you would never actually do this. Uh, that's just not how... Even if you wanted to. Even if you wanted to, yeah. Like, your phone's not going to connect to one router or your Mac's not going to connect to one router with both of its radios, 5 gigahertz and 2.4 gigahertz. Like, that's just not not how it goes. But that is uh, what that's what those numbers mean. So let's break it down a little bit Uh, for 2.4 gigahertz radio. We're always because we're marketing people. We have to remember these numbers come from the marketing folks. So for 2.4 gigahertz radios, the fastest that they're going to go is 150 megabits per second. Okay. Um, If we have three antennas in a device, Well, then that means that we have 450 megabits per second of 2.4 gigahertz. We take those three antennas, uh, we multiply each of them by 150, and now we're at 450. So we're at 450. Like, great. Okay. Now, we aren't talking about whether or not your device can connect to all three radios. You know, your iPhone only has two radios or two antennas in it, I should say. Uh, But that's fine. No problem. Sure. That's what the router is capable of. Well, for five gigahertz, we do the same thing. We say, what's the fastest currently that's out there? You know, and we'll ignore Wi-Fi six for the moment. We'll say we'll stick with Wi-Fi five or as we used to like to call it, 802.11ac. And that is 433 megabits per second per radio. So, okay, you know, you take 433, you divide it by three. Now you have 1300. Okay. 1300 plus 450, right? That's 1750. (laughs) Okay. We'll call that an AC 1700 radio. Good to go. That's how we get these numbers. Okay. Okay. So, well, and I suppose by looking at it, well, by looking at it, it gives you some sort of measure of this one has more better radios. It does. And and it's true. <laughs> you know, so your AC, um, your AC 16 or 2600 radio or router has two radios in it, 2.4 gigahertz and five. And each of them has four antennas. And if you go back and do the math, you'll get to somewhere near 2600. And so that's where that speed comes from. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Antennas versus radio. Having four antennas doesn't make mean four radios, correct? Correct. 
Correct. Yeah. So the number of antennas doesn't matter. It's the number of radios? Both. So Wait, how yeah. do the number of antennas work into this? Okay, so that's what it is. Like let's let's define what we mean. For radios we're talking about 2.4 gigahertz or 5 gigahertz. So some routers, most routers now have two radios in them. Dual band, it's called. You've got one 2.4 gigahertz radios band, one 5 gigahertz radio band, dual band. Some routers have a third band, another 5 gigahertz. That's fine. Antennas are how many antennas, truly antennas per band do you have? So you could have just a 2.4 gigahertz router and have three antennas in it, and that would be a 450 megabit per second. Router. Oh, you're killing me. Yeah. The, uh, so you have to multiply times. Well, wait a minute. You got to add. You got to multiply, then add. Right. It's we're using parentheses for, for those of us math nerds around here. Right. <laughs> oh, cripes. So the commutative property of equality tells me. Uh, Correct. So when you say antennas, am I looking at the four little things sticking up out of the top of my router? Exactly. Yeah. Now, not every router's antennas are on the you outside. Mean transmit routers. Well, there are transmit antennas. Right. But. But there will, in all but the strangest cases, you will have the same number of transmit antennas as you will receive antennas. But yes, okay. yes, it, <laughs> yes, yes. So I think I'm going to just leave it here and yeah. leave it as the larger number, way more better radios. Well, and 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 now and let's fine, now let's right? forget about marketing speak and just talk about the number of antennas, right? Because this is the when when you're talking about antennas, that's where this. Two by two, three by three, four by four definition comes from, right? And we're talking about the number of transmit antennas and receive antennas, transmit by receive, I think. I might have that backwards, but it doesn't matter because 90% of what we, 99% of what we would even consider buying has the same of both, as we said. So something with four antennas, four streams is actually better in every test I've done than something with two antennas or streams, even though. Your iPhone only has two. So if you've got a router that has four antennas, your iPhone can only connect to two at the same time. But the router and the iPhone can negotiate with each other and pick the best two. And each antenna is aimed a little bit differently to get that, you know, full coverage of your house. So depending on where you are, you having that that the extra antennas gives you more options and you do wind up getting better speeds. It's, it, you know, most in most cases. Now, uh, I did a bunch of uh, router testing uh, using the speed testing, using the instructions that you guys have on the Mac Observer. Um, are you doing that? Uh, I forget. What's the command? Uh, iperf. The iperf 3. Yeah, the iperf. Are you doing that on all of these things that you're testing when you say it's better? Yeah. Uh, yes. In a, in, a, in, a, in, in a variety of different ways. Uh, it, you know, I like to test with phones. There are apps on the phone that you can sort of do iperf with. Um, I, but you know, if, if you have an internet connection that is faster than, um, the speed of the maximum speed of the phone, then you can use the speed test app and just trust the internet to do it. But there's, there's a lot of factors there. So yeah, I do. I test, I test everything with, with iperf for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Cause I mean, that took, that took me a long time to do test two, two, uh, router setups that took me 
days to do that. I picked, I'm, that's impressive if you do it with that. I figured you were like, ah, I'm doing speed tests close enough. Um, I mean, I will, I'll use speed tests throughout the house and just kind of, you, you know, to get spot checks on things. But, um, but when I really want to test a router, I'll use iPerf. But once you've got iPerf all set up, like it really isn't that big of a deal. Um, okay. It, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got things set up here so that I can, I can do an iPerf test in all of about, you know, 90 seconds. So it's just, yeah, it's not that big. And write it all down. That's the hard part for me. I get little spreads well, and you can do five I, tests. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I know where my baselines are. I've, I do this enough okay. that, that most of it can kind of live in memory for a while. And then I just jot down, okay, here's where this router was. This and, one. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. I put a link to the uh, article by Jim, uh, Tan- is it Tannis? Tannis. That's right. Yeah. Yep. On uh, Mac Observer, so people can go look at, at iPerf. Um, all right, you kind of obliquely threw out the term Wi-Fi six. What? <laughs> yeah, well, we're we're changing. I just got good at eight hundred two dot eleven a b g a c. What? What? Right. Well, that's why Wi-Fi six. That's why we've relabeled things. I say we. It's you know the Wi-Fi Alliance has really? relabeled things, but um, we are adding eight hundred two dot eleven a x. Um, which, uh, instead of calling it a X, we're calling it Wi-Fi six. That's it. That's it. Huh. Yep. That's it. And Wi-Fi so is this five just to stop having to say it. Yeah. Yeah. You know how we say 802.11 AC just the yeah. Wi-Fi five is that it, they, they are, it's okay. a, it's a new name for it. Yeah. So yeah. just get over it <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> well, and we know six is better than five. Correct. But I, to be honest, That's I was why. getting a little confused going, wait a minute, is N better than G-A-C? Wait, what? Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, no, that's, it, that's exactly right. That's that's why this makes sense, because you can, you know, it's it's fairly uh, straightforward to say that, yes, six is new, newer than five. Whether it's better or not it starts to get very subjective and, you know, maybe your environment changes or whatever. But but six is certainly newer than five. So we know, OK, 802.11ax, Wi-Fi six, that's the new hotness. Good to go. Yeah. OK. Yeah. All right. Good. Well, I will try to start using the new words. It might take a while. Now, it, back to talking about antennas, because nothing's more fun than antennas. And by the way, if I ever hear anyone say antennae for the plural of, a, of an electromagnetic, electromagnetic antenna, there's going to be some pain. Hmm. Um, antennae are bugs. Right. Antennas is the correct term. So uh, you've talked on the show about band steering. So what is band steering? Are there really little rotating mechanical, mechanically scanned antennas in there? Or is it more like a synthetic aperture radar where the beams are steered electronically? Yeah. So band steering is a, an electronic thing. And it's when and this can happen with a single router. It doesn't only apply to mesh, although mesh could do this too, but any device that has more than one radio. So we've got a 2.4 and a five gigahertz radio in the device. Um, your phone by default will connect to the strongest signal that it can find. Hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean the fastest signal that it can find because as we said before, 2.4 gigahertz maxes out at 150 megabits per second. So a hundred percent signal strength 2.4 is 150 megabits per second. A hundred percent signal strength 5 gigahertz on 802.11 AC or Wi-Fi 5 as we're supposed to say now is 433 megabits per second. So even if you've got the option between 100% 2.4 and 50% 5, you're still better off with the 5 gigahertz radio. 
because okay. half of 433 is uh, 215, right? Am I doing my math right? Right. Sure. Close uh, enough. Don't Two, ask me. 216 and a half. But who's counting? Uh, so that's still better, right? And so, but your phone doesn't necessarily know this. They, I mean, they've gotten a little better, but by and large, your phone's just going to choose the most powerful radio and go with it. Um, the router knows more. The router also knows how congested each band is, something your phone could not possibly know, right? So if your router says, well, yeah, uh, 80% of my clients are on this 2.4 gigahertz radio and I got nothing over here sitting on the five, I want to move some clients over and I know the relative signal strengths amongst them all. So I know which ones are the best ones to move. So band steering is when your router says to your devices, jump from the 2.4 to the five. I'll see you over there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I remember band steering being introduced with the, the tall uh, airport extreme. Yeah. That's the first time I ever heard it referred to. So that's been around for a while. Yeah. For a long time. But there's also, there's also beam forming. Is that the same thing? No. So band steering applies to the radios, right? The difference between a 2.4 and a 5. Beam forming happens amongst the antennas. Remember before when I said that you, with four antennas, you are generally better off because your router and the device can help decide which two antennas your iPhone, for example, should connect to. That, what we described there, is called beam forming. Because the okay. beams are coming from the antennas. Does that make sense? I mean, it's, it's you know, marketing speak, but yeah. Yeah, a little, a little vague, but yeah. I think I follow you. It's a little vague. Yeah. So, you know, if you've got, it, you've got four antennas and two are pointing uh, east and two are pointing west, right? Well, let's say we've got four antennas on the device and they're pointing north, south, east, east and west, right? And your phone mm -hmm. is northwest of the access point, okay? Mm-hmm. The access point, your phone may just act, you know, by happenstance, connect to the south and north antennas. Fine. Well, the device can say, the, the router can say, wow, yeah, but you're over there. You should, north is fine, but you should not be on south. You should be on west. And so beam forming moves you to the two best antennas for you. And I'm oversimplifying it, but the, I mean, that's really what happens. Okay. And now well, they sort of named these backwards then. I, perhaps, so when it steers you from one antenna to the other, that's called beam forming. Yes, that's correct. That's, yes. Okay. Yeah. So fair. Just remember the names are backwards and you're good to go. Right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know why people are confused. That's interesting. Okay, I never good. thought about it that way because I learned the terms, you know, I learned them in the other order. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I never, yeah. I, never I never questioned it, but you're totally right. So that's actually directional. That's yeah. interesting. Yes. Exactly. Okay. So here's another, let's do some more buzzword bingo. Uh, MIMO. MIMO stands for multiple in, multiple out, but then there's SUMIMO, MUMIMO. What is all this and why do we care? Okay. So we're on the subject of antennas. We know that your phone can connect to two antennas at the same time, right? With with mm -hmm. uh, With what we've discussed. That is... MIMO, multiple in and multiple out. So instead of it just connecting to one antenna at a time, it's connecting to two. Or if your phone were to have three antennas in it, which it doesn't, it could connect to three, but your MacBook Pro or your iMac does. So that's what they do. That's MIMO, M-I-M-O, multiple in, multiple out. Great. That's also single user MIMO, right? 
Because with single user MIMO, even if your device has your router has four antennas, your phone only has two. In our example, now your phone's using north and west. Well, east and south are available. But aha, no, no. Your router can only talk to one device at a time. I know it seems like all of your devices can talk at, at once and they're all associated at once. But each device only gets to talk at, your router only gets to talk to one device at a time. That's just how that works. Except. Okay. Except MU MIMO, multi-user MIMO, solves that problem by allowing another device to talk to those other available antennas. Here's the rub. Both the router and all associated devices need to support MU MIMO in order for that feature to come alive. And here's the other part. Your Apple devices don't support MU MIMO. So if you have just one Apple device in your house, you don't have MU MIMO, even if your router has it plastered all over its box like the marketing <laughs> professionals wanted. So, yeah, there you go. Okay. Uh, so we have to wait until Apple supports it. Do the, do the PC manufacturers support MU MIMO? Some, but I don't think it matters because we're talking about mesh. And this is where... Now that you've you've actually laid this foundation perfectly here, because the main benefit of mesh and the reason most people get it is because they want better coverage. Right. And and there's nothing wrong mm -hmm. with that. Like the fact that there's a lot right with that. And that's that is one of the benefits of mesh is you can sort of pop these access points around and just quickly and easily and without having to think about network design, you have better coverage. It's awesome. But. This concept of MooMimo is, is actually a good one because if, let's say, you and Steve both are watching Netflix on your laptops at the same time, if you can be – and really Netflix is a bad example uh, because they, it tends to stream and buffer and you're not watching in real time. But if you let's say you're both watching something different in real time where you really have to be connected like YouTube videos or something, short-form stuff, uh, you're constantly downloading – you want your devices connected full time and you don't want them sharing the airtime, right, with another device. Moomimo solves that, except not for us because we're Apple users. <laughs> well, think about this. Now you have with Mesh, you've got, say, three different access points in your house. If one of your devices is connected to access point A and Steve is connected to access point B, well, now you both have dedicated bandwidth just like moo so mimo got, yeah so you've got su mimo and mimo but since you're on different antennas exactly different de physical devices different radios yeah you get exactly. the benefits yeah. yeah ah yeah that's a really good distinction so in some houses where people like especially if you've got you know you know kids living in your house and you got four people in the house and they're all sort of you know doing their own things even Maybe if you roommate. don't yeah even if you don't need the coverage of mesh Having the extra radios of mesh can be a good thing. Now, it can also cause a lot of congestion and, and, and actually make your network worse if you, you know, try and pack multiple radios into a too small a space. But in general, yes, mesh can very much help with that. Yeah. Are you saying if you, like if you put three uh, Eros into an apartment, that would be a bad thing? It can too be close. 
Yeah. Interesting. Well, because um, they're, they're going to start overlapping with each other in terms of their coverage. And you want a little okay. bit of that overlap so that the mesh can actually do what the mesh does. But if you've got too much of that overlap now, you know, devices are, are competing for, for airspace, essentially. And that that's not a good thing. A lot of, again, not every mesh is equal. Some of the meshes will actually reduce the power of the transmit power of their radios so as to not cause this problem. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Or on some of them, you can go in and tweak the power down. And I know that seems counterintuitive, but it, doing that right, you can actually make things much smoother by not having three things serving, you know, every room and say, okay, no, no, no. If we tweak this just the right way, we can get it so that this room is served by that access point. This room is served by that one and they don't overflow and they don't spill. And then things, uh, you know, things roam better, but that gets, I mean, that gets very, very you know, complex. It, yeah. But you, ju- you just accidentally answered a question I didn't ask. Perfect. And it's back to the 2.4 gigahertz question about, about IOT devices. My daughter Lindsay got a smart oven and I could not get it to connect her network. And I found that one of the, and I thought maybe it was this 2.4 gigahertz problem. I still to this day, I'm not a hundred percent sure that was wrong. Sure. Was what was wrong. But I read online that one of the tricks is to turn down the power on the five gigahertz radio. So thereby making the only thing it'd be able to see would be the 2.4, even though I can't separate them. And I think that might've fixed it. I'm not a hundred percent sure because sure, other stuff got weird. But my my in the back of my brain, I've been thinking, why did they have a dial that lets me turn down the power? That seems weird. This is why. This is why. Yeah. Most yeah. like most yeah, enterprise like- installations will not be running their radios at full power. Like when you go to, you know, some convention hall or whatever, those radios, the powers of the, the you know, the, the output power of those radios has been tuned down from 100 percent in almost every case. Which, again, seems counterintuitive. You're like, I want to bathe this, you know, this, con- yeah. this conference hall in Wi-Fi. It's like, no, no, you Hold want people up. to be able to use the Wi-Fi. Those are two <laughs> di- very different things. Yeah. So yeah. overclocking for what reason? For what so reason? I know yeah. we're going yeah. we're gonna to get into manufacturers, but one of the things that has surprised me in I am not near the level of tester that you have been on the whole mesh thing, but. I, I was really curious. I've been uh, I've been just using the Netgear Orbeez. That's my only experience. And uh, I got a pair of them to test from Netgear. And I tested in my house. I did the whole iPerf thing. And because I, I, I talked to you about why this was and what Dave told me, um, I have a house that is a cube and my router is in the center of the house. And with that formation, my giant Netgear 8500 is perfect at bathing my house where using mesh with only two access points was actually not as fast mm. and not significantly slower, but it definitely was not better. It was, I was able to measure because I did the iPerf testing that I learned from TMO. And that was really interesting to me. And, and you explained that it was because of the shape of the house and where the router is. However, the same exact pair I put in my daughter's house, which is giant. It's very long. Uh, it's got two levels. There's a basement. It's built in the 70s. So God knows what the walls are made out of. It's tri-level, maybe quad level. I mean, it's a really crazy house. Two of them perfectly bathes her house. It's it's fantastic. She's got great service in it. And then my son has a, a much smaller house, but it's a much older house. And he I, he must have wire mesh in every single wall because an AC twenty six hundred router just wouldn't do the job in this smaller house. I got it. I gave him a couple of uh, Orbeez. Boom! Every problem was fixed. So how smaller than mine? It was better. House 
bigger and longer and weirder, it was better. But for my cubic house with the router in the middle, it was not better. So it's hard to tell where the right answer might be. It, well, that that's exactly it. There is no one size fits all. Um, you know, as I, and of course, you know, the geek in me is is trying to dissect the the scenarios you were describing and why one is better than the other. The the reality is the the as a standalone router, if you just took the Orbi router and you compared it to your uh 8500, the the, the 8500 is a way more capable router like in terms of its wireless, way more capable than the Orbi because I think the Orbi the Orbi has three radios in it. But one of them is dedicated to backhaul, and that's a four by four radio. So that's got four antennas. So what? What? Explain the term backhaul. The backhaul being the the connection between the the the, uh, the access points, right? So okay. You, uh, so not for your clients to use, but a secret network that the mesh uses to communicate amongst itself and and okay. you know get get internet access to the remote wireless, you know, satellite units. Um, okay. So that's a four by four radio, which is great because it means that that Orbi is really good at going far and fast in terms of, of the backhaul between the, you know, the, the, the router and the satellites. But I'm pretty sure that the front facing radios on that are two by two only. Uh-huh. And I'm looking up but my notes here as we're got- going through this. Yeah. If I, in both in, in my daughter and my son's case, it, it's just two people on it. Mm-hmm. So well, again, if you it, had it, this family of four with kids or a bunch of roommates, that might not be a good answer. No, it because again, Wi-Fi is one device at a time, unless you're using Moomimo, which probably not. Um, so no, mm-hmm. but it's, it's that you don't get the, the band steering of the, 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 that you would get with a four by four device. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it it so this makes sense that it, your house actually does work, you know, because of the the because of where you can place the radio, you know, the router's radio. Mm-hmm. Uh your house works with one router and and that or one radio or one set of radios, I should say. And, and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was kind of disappointed. I wanted to be one of the cool kids with mesh, but I could measure that it was stupid for me. Well, so and the, okay. R, the 8500 is a tri-band router too, right? You've got two 5 gigahertz bands in that and one 2.4 if if memory serves. I have one downstairs, and, of course. And then the guest network too. Oh, you can do a guest network. Yeah, but you can do that with most, most mesh nowadays too. Is, so that isn't a separate radio when you say throw on that guest network? No, it's a separate SSID on top of just oh, next to – On the same radios. Okay. Just like – when you have if if you're running like a, a Comcast uh, all in one, you know, residential gateway, I think they call it, where, y- you know, you, you have your cable modem and your router and your Wi-Fi all in one device. And then that device also broadcasts an Xfinity Wi-Fi network that's coming right. on the same radios. It, it's same uh-huh. same radios, but it's VLAN to get into network terms. So it's. It's a segregated – the data is segregated and managed differently um, mm-hmm. so that it, you don't – it's not commingled and also bandwidth-wise, you can prioritize one over the other. But it, it is on the same radios. So, yeah. One thing I found interesting about that guest network um, that that works fine. Uh, there was a case where I didn't want it to work this way. But if I have two choices of the security of that network. One is allow it to see uh, – everything that's on my regular network 
why would I want to do that? <laughs> I don't see any reason to have it switched that way. But switch the other way, the devices can't talk to each other. They can only talk to the outside. Right. Right. And I understand why they do that, but I had an example where I needed two devices to talk to each other because they were both IoT devices from the same manufacturer that needed communication. Mm. And so I was forced to put them on my regular network in order to do that because they could only see outside. Right. That's right. Well, and that's that whole VLANing where you're, you're, you know, compartmentalizing the traffic is, is really the right way to look at that. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. makes sense. Yeah. 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 So you've talked a lot about QoS, which I know stands for quality of service, and a lot of uh, routers support it. How do I know if I need to enable that? Are there like settings and why would I do it? How would I know if it helped? And is this a mesh thing or a regular router thing? It's a regular router thing that also can apply to mesh, right? So it's not a mesh only thing is perhaps the better way to answer that question. And QoS, you're right, means quality of service. And really, it's a blanket term to describe a lot of different things that can happen. When I talk about QoS and what matters to us as home users is what I'll call WAN-based QoS, WAN being the wide area network or internet-based QoS, right? So uh, let me describe a scenario instead of trying to describe the technology. You're out, you know, with your family of four, and you go to the zoo and you're all taking all kinds of pictures with your phones, you know, and it's great, right? You have a beautiful day. You get home. Everybody uh, drops their phones on the counter. You sit down at your laptop and try to check email and it is dog slow. And the reason it's dog slow is because as soon as all your phones joined the Wi-Fi, they started barfing all those pictures that you took up to iCloud Photo Library to back them up and, you know, sync and do all the things that they need to do. And your upstream, that is the path that data takes from your house out to the Internet, is being completely used up as it should be because you're uploading all these pictures. Well, what happens is your cable modem is really bad at managing that traffic. And so uh, things get slow. And when you go to check your email, sure, that is a, a, a process where you're pulling something down, but you have to send the requests out. And more than that, you actually have to send constant acknowledgments that, yep, I got this packet of my email. Send me the next one. Yep, I got that. Send me the next one. So there's this, this chatter that happens. And when your upstream is soaked, that chatter gets slowed way down because things have to get in line and your cable modem doesn't manage the line very well. Uh, so what happens is things feel really sluggish and slow, even though your downstream is not being used at all. It's just your upstream. That's why QoS matters, because you, you can implement on your router WAN-based QoS, internet-based QoS, to manage that upstream so that it never hits the maximum and never lets your cable modem actually do the bad job of managing the queue. There would be no queue. So for for this internet-based QoS to work, Eero uh, uh, calls it smart queue management, which is actually a better term than trying to say WAN QoS because that you know tends to deer in the headlights even me. But yeah, smart queue management. So you're essentially saying let the router manage that queue so that the cable modem doesn't have to. And what what you generally will do is let's say you have uh, you know 10 megabit upstream capability you would and the router can do this automatically in many cases you would set your router to 9.8 
megabits per second upstream. So you give up a little bit so that you never risk hitting that wall. And as long as your router can shape the traffic such that you never hit that wall, everything stays smooth. Your photos upload. Wait a minute. Have, wait, a minute. wait, you're you're what is it you're turning down to nine point eight? You're upstream. So let's say you have let's say your your cable service or your internet service is a hundred megabits down and ten megabits up, right? Right. You would take that 10 megabits up and tell your router or your router would decide on its own. It would test it and say, we've got 10 megabits up. We're going to slow that down to 9.8. And the reason we do that is so that the cable modem, the next thing up the chain, never has the chance to manage the queue. It never gets a full queue that it has to to deal with. We're only okay. ever sending it maximum 9.8. You're just tricking it? Well, yeah, you're avoiding any problems. You are handing your your cable modem data at a rate that it does not have to uh, limit, and then you're good to go. Yeah, does that make sense? So, no, it's hard to do. It's hard, this is really hard to do audibly, right? It's it's like so, well, you, I can draw a picture, but that's not going to help. Yeah, I th- I would have thought that you were going to tell me that there were little sliders to say. I want video to be ahead of audio and audio to be ahead of photos and photos to be ahead of text. Some routers or something do that. like that. Yeah. Some, some let you do that. That's, that's actually not going to solve this problem, which really is the biggest problem for most people. Uh, you can so you pri- you just dial this number back and your and everything just becomes wonderful. Well, yeah, but, but that's it. I mean, we've oversimplified it. Not every router can do this because it takes a pretty hefty CPU to manage traffic in real time and, you know, keep that line in order, right? This is part of why cable modems are bad at it because they, they aren't, you know, built to be good at it. Uh, so you need a router that can really keep up and, and manage that traffic on the fly so that it's never sending more than it should and just packaging it up very, very nicely in real time. But, but yeah, that's the way hmm. to do it. Yeah. So all you do is turn that number down and then you close out your router thing and you go back to watching Netflix. That's it. That's all well, you do. Yes. In a manner of speaking. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. how do you know uh, what that means? I mean, whether I'm sorry, not what it means. How do you know whether it's actually done you good? Well, one way to do it. I mean, it's really what you're solving is an experiential problem, but you can do some tests. So the the my favorite test is to open up a terminal window and start pinging some site now ping is a terminal command it's p-i-n-g and you follow it by a space and then some server out on the internet that you know you can connect to and what ping does is once per second it sends out a little homing signal and the server answers and it gives you uh, a result in milliseconds that shows you how long that exchange took and it does this once a second so Ping space www.apple.com is a great one. It always answers. It's pretty reliable. And I would do this when you're not having any problems. So you can see what your pings look like. They should be less than 100 milliseconds. For some of you, it's going to be like 10. That's awesome. For most of us, it's going to be in the 30 to 60 range. That's still awesome. Um, And you get a feel for that. Then uh, go do a speed test in your browser, right? And watch what happens to your pings while you're doing the speed test. The first thing a speed test does is it pulls data down as fast as it can. For most of us, these pings aren't going to change very much on the downstream. Then when it finishes downstream, it will do an upstream test. Watch your pings because your browser is going to soak your upstream with as much data as it can to test what the max is. 
if the pings change very much, you know that you have a, uh, a queuing problem or a WAN QoS problem. Oh, that's fun. It is fun. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It's got the terminal yes. and nerdy data in it. That's, it, I mean, yeah. what fun is it to just set it and have it work? Right. I, I'm not right. even interested in that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this way, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I apparently uh, listened to you once. I rarely, really I pay attention. But um, on the, the Netgear, it's called Dynamic QoS, and it has Enable Dynamic QoS or Let Speed Test Detect My Internet Bandwidth. Exactly. So if I tell it, allow speed test to do it, speed test is checking it every once in a while. Oh, latest test result. Never. Uh, I guess you got to push the speed test. Yeah. yeah, With Um, most of those, you have to manually do it. Yeah. Okay. But if I do it, enable dynamic QoS, that would be what you're talking about where it just uh, reduces it a little bit so that your modem doesn't do the work and your and or it doesn't ever know about your full bandwidth capability. Well, you're, you're going to, in those scenarios, you're going to need to tell it what you're up. I mean, it needs to know what the upstream is. So it's either going to guess this based on your, uh, or it's not going to guess, it's going to get this number based on a speed test or something you type in. Um and, and either one is yeah. fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I'm not sure I have a problem to be solved in my particular house. I, Steve never lets me hold the remote control because I don't have testosterone, but uh, that's another problem. <laughs> so I'm not even going to get there. Nope. Uh, <laughs> no, because but no, you would it always is, take Steve's like, it, like this test that we talked about with the ping and the speed test will highlight this for you. And really what you're looking for is not – you probably will see – a, a very short term, like one, maybe two seconds worth of a spike, and then it normalizes. That's your router doing its job. Uh, oh. it, it's if it goes up and stays up. And and, I, and I'm not talking about going up by like 20 milliseconds from if you're at 40 and it goes up to 60 or even 80. That's not a problem. It's when it goes up to 500. Like that's the thing that's going to be very noticeable when you're trying to do stuff on the Internet. And and again, if okay. it spikes to 500 for one second and then comes back down, that's your router doing its job. If it spikes to okay. 500 and stays there through the entirety of the upstream test, now you know you have a problem. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I know. That's a lot it's of fun. fun. Yeah. So we probably should get to the part that everybody else wants to know. So Dave, which one should I buy? I want a mesh router. You've sold me. I want to get one. What do I get? Yeah, I know. It's a great question. There is no one answer. That's the thing. Like, so, you know, you described your daughter's house where Netgear's Orbi works flawlessly for her, right? And in mm-hmm. in those scenarios, Orbi is fantastic. As I said, they've got the, the 4x4 radio for the backhaul. Uh, it, you know, it really was built to be a speed demon in that way. And it works. I mean, it goes far. It goes fast. That's what it was built for, though. And then they tried with software adding other features like, hey, I've got Ethernet in my walls. We should be able to backhaul this with Ethernet, which was not doable on the Orbi on the day it came out. Um, it's still a little wonky when you use Ethernet backhaul because foundationally it's not part of what that was supposed to do. Mesh, true mesh is not part of the Orbi. You can have a a backhaul from the satellite to the um to the to the router but initially you couldn't backhaul one satellite to the other or do this multi-hop thing every satellite had to talk just back to the router oh which and they've they've changed that like one is a satellite and one is the main one right that's it okay yeah and and so i call that a star configuration right okay 
but Eero is all 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 of the or all of the units are created equal. Um, yeah, but that's actually not the problem. the The problem is that whether they're created equal or not is fine. It's that initially Orby was not built that let's say you have a house that's very long and your router is at one side of it. So you put the the main unit at at one wall, you know, then halfway through the house, you put one satellite and clear at the other end of the house, you put another satellite with Orby mm-hmm. as it was originally designed that satellite all the way on the other side of the house <laughs> talks back to the main router, not using the one in the middle. So you've just put it where you don't have any access Correct. and so you can't get anything. Okay. Correct. But the newer ones can? Well, via can software, hop? they added that feature. They call it multi-hop. It, it's a little weird though. Um, and, I mean, it's okay. getting better, but like Orbi out of the gate, uh, sorry, Eero out of the gate supported multi-hop, which is, you know, some people will argue without multi-hop, it's not actually mesh. Uh, you know, I don't know. You know, the, it's a fluid term, right? So, um, so for some people, Orbi works really, really well. Uh, for most people, Eero works really, really well. Um, they, you know, they, they support all this multi-hop stuff. They support Ethernet backhaul. They have their smart queue management, which was something they added after the fact uh, via software. And their management interface is very easy to use, but it is a cloud interface, which means if they ever go out of business or Amazon now decides to shut down the Orbi cloud, you as an Orbi customer would have, unless they change something, would have no way to change any settings with your router. It would just it would continue to work. But if you wanted to change your password, you're out of luck, right? Because you need the cloud interface to do that. Um, Interesting. Yep. Uh, Plume. Is another one of my favorites. Uh, they, uh, they're, they're, and I should clarify, Plume's newest offering, which is what they call their Super Pods, are one of my favorites. Their regular pods, I, I don't think, are worth it for anybody to be perfectly honest. But the Super Pods do very well. They have three radios in them, similar to the Orbi. Uh, one of those radios is a, a four gigahertz, or four, sorry, a four stream, a four by four. Uh, radio, but all of them can be used for all purposes, backhaul and what we call front haul, the things that connect to your devices. So I like the Orbi, um, uh, sorry, like the plume. I really, really like um, that. And the Eero in terms of like most homes where you just want to set something up and not have to think much about it. Um, I, I would go with, with Eero or plume d- these days. Um, okay. Yeah. That might the, now, go ahead. I have an honorable I, I, mention that's worth considering. Uh, okay, throw in the honorable mention yeah, and we'll circle back. It's one called called uh, Amplify A M P L I F I from the folks at Ubiquity. Now Ubiquity has been making uh, mesh wireless in uh, the enterprise for decades. Right? They they definitely know what they're doing. Amplify is their product targeted toward home users. And it works really, really well. It is locally managed. You can do remote management if you want, but it, it's all self-contained and the the radios all work. You know, they're very strong radios. They're actually all three by three radios in them. And and it, it's a good option for uh, for folks, especially if folks don't want to have to deal with cloud management, but also don't want to have to deal with, you know, the, the weirdness that is the evolution of Orbi software. The Ubiquity Amplify is good stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, my friend Pat Dangler is a certified Apple consultant, and she's been doing working with the uh, Amplify in her house. But then she started putting in a lot of Eros for her customers, 
And she's actually just taken out the Amplify and put in the Orbeez for herself because it's just like life is just easier with Eero. It, it, yeah, so. no, Eero does a good job. And especially if she's managing a lot of different Eero networks, you know, I mean, she knows them now. So, yeah, that, no, that makes sense. That, that helps, too. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So um, I put out the question to the Nocilla Castaways asking people what kind of questions would they ask Dave Hamilton if they had him on the phone? And every single person said, yeah, but Amazon owns Eero now. What are we going to do? Timing so, is everything, isn't it? <laughs> you should have asked a week before, right? Yeah, yeah. we would have gotten uh, maybe different questions yeah. at least. But uh, does this worry you? What do you think about it? Um, no, it it doesn't worry me. Uh, I am not someone that is concerned a lot about that type of of scenario, though. So, like, I. I I, I might be the wrong person to ask or I might be exactly the right person to ask. Right. <laughs> I, I've always known that Eero can peer into my network. Right. Like that. That's they, they don't hide that. They never did. They know what devices you have connected. They know how well they work. Plume does the same thing, by the way. And I actually like them for it because they can then take that and in a sort of, you know, big data machine learning type of way. Say, oh, look, every time this particular Samsung phone tries to connect, it has this problem. So now we can actually solve for that and push an update out that says, hey, anytime this type of Samsung phone tries to connect, if you identify that it's that, you know, answer this way and answer an iPhone that way. And Plume does that better than anybody. But Eero does some of that for sure. So so they're, they're not looking at your traffic, though, are no. they? No. No, they're not. It's now, just, I mean, they could, I suppose. I mean, look, they have cloud access, you know, re- remote access to my router. So in theory, like, uh, sure, I, you know, I, I would think okay. if that ever were to happen, it wouldn't take very long for someone to notice. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> and then, and then that the would be the page. end of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and so, here's the thing. I think Eero as a standalone company could probably have survived that happening, it, it, assuming it was accidental and they weren't, you know, being nefarious about it. Right. Like, right. don't get caught. But, you know, sometimes you make mistakes. And Eero is known as this early stage company that, you know, is is pushing the envelope and trying different things. And so it could be like, oh, crap. You know, here we like oh, Mia culpa. Right. Nick Weavers comes out. The CEO says Mia culpa. Uh, this didn't happen, but I'm just, you know, just painting a picture here. We were doing some stuff. We really wanted to get data about how your device is connected to make the experience better for everyone. And uh, you know what? We reached too far. I'm so sorry. You know, we didn't store any of this data. You, you know, uh, like, how can we make this up to you? I think they might have been able to survive that, right? If I'm going to interrupt really quick, Megan Maroney on Tech News Weekly said we need a we need a slider called sinister or stupid. Yes, perfect. <laughs> Isn't that perfect? Right? Yeah. If you were just stupid, okay, maybe it was really stupid, right? But that's different than sinister. So Facebook is always on the sinister side. That's the and then thing. everything else gets to slide back and forth. Yeah. Well, I, you know, but the thing is, could Amazon survive that exact same scenario as well oh. as Eero could? And I don't think they could. Everybody's already suspect oh. of Amazon because they're so you're big. waiting for them to do it. Correct. Correct. So I like I, I think from that standpoint, we're actually safer with Amazon being there now. 
Will Amazon eventually use this data knowing that you have no Apple devices in your house? You only have Samsung devices. So when you come and shop at our store from your home network, we should recommend a Google Assistant based home speaker to you as opposed or, you know, maybe an Amazon Alexa home. Sorry, Amazon a lady for everyone listening uh, home speaker. Uh, you know, we'll recommend that. But if you've got all Apple devices, we'll recommend a HomePod. Like, will they do that? I would, it would shock me if they don't. Right? Like, why else did they buy it? Well, yeah, that's actually a good question. Well, I think why they bought it, honestly, is this. They have all of these uh, Amazon Echo devices throughout our homes, right? And then right next to them, we have the our you know our mesh access points an Eero an Orbi a Plume whatever it is and it's really bad to have two wireless devices right on top of each other like that right way better if we could bake this in and have your Eero unit also be you know Amazon A Lady compatible and you've got one thing and you can talk to it and now your Wi-Fi is literally hidden in plain sight. Hmm. I think that's why they bought it. And just like they bought Ring, right? They want to own the smart home. And to be perfectly fair, I think they already own the smart home. I mean, it, you know, HomeKit certainly isn't that. Google Assistant's cool. It's more functional, but it's not as ubiquitous. So, uh, you know, I, I think this is, I think it's all about owning the smart home. I don't think it's anything nefarious. Yeah. yeah. I, I've talked on the show about how I don't uh, have any great love for the management of uh, of Ring because of them actually lying to me in writing. Right. And uh, it, but, but the devices, yeah. the, okay, the devices are amazing and I have littered my home with them and I've now just bought their alarm system, but I'm actually happier that they got bought by Amazon because right. I trust Amazon more than I trust Ring because I know Ring has lied to me. Right? So. Well, and here's the thing, like, I mean, like, we have to have our eyes open about the world that we live in. If anyone thought that Eero was going to remain a standalone company forever, that that's just wrong, right? They were a venture capital funded or at least organization. Naive. It's just not well. It's but it's also wrong. Yeah, it is naive, right? Yeah, yeah, naive. <laughs> What's well, or... wrong now? Sure, you know that. <laughs> well, but we knew at the beginning. Like they they kept telling us how they oh we we did our next series of funding and all that. What do venture capitalists, you know, want to do with an investment? They want an exit. They want to take the the money that they put in and get a big lump sum out. They don't. Most VCs aren't in it for you know mailbox money uh, so every Dave, month. I so. think your knowledge level change is flavoring what you think everyone knows. I didn't know any of that. Dunning Kruger syndrome. Yes. Mac- yeah. No, you're right. Yeah. So I mean, I thought you're just a cool little company. Well, right. I, in fact, I might. I thought it was a big company. I didn't know it was a company. Yeah, that's all I knew. It was a Fair. company. I didn't know anything about it. So, Fair. Uh, thinking it would be standalone forever, I would have thought. How about Plume? Is Plume in the same boat? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but they, so they you know they're in bed good. with um with Comcast uh and and mm. so like that it would wouldn't Plume is yeah yeah because oh. Comcast uses the the Comcast pods <laughs> that you get. To to meshify your residential gateway are first gen plume pods. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, so I'm <laughs> we just circled around because one of the questions uh, Norbert asked was who other than Eero or Google would you recommend for a mesh system? And I'm thinking, okay, well, Dave, I didn't have to ask his question because Dave said plume. But as soon as you tell me plume is connected to, to 
uh, Comcast, I would rather go with an Amazon-owned product. I just flip back over to Euro again. Yep. Yep. There you go. Well, and the reality is, I mean, this stuff's just going to change. And, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I Spending too much time worrying about this um, may stop just you from stuff to worry about. enjoying the benefits of just having it. Right. It's. I mean, it's yeah. the same kind of thing. Like, well, I could wait and get the, the MacBook Pro. Like, I need a new laptop, but... If I wait maybe six months, I don't know, you know, maybe they'll they'll have some better thing. It's like, yeah, but now you just suffered for six months. Why, like, if you need a computer today, just buy it today. Don't worry. Like, it, worst comes to worst, you just, you know, buy something else if it really, my, really my, goes uh, south. My friend Mike Leewald at work had a, a cartoon on his door that showed two guys standing over a gravestone. And the one guy says, yeah, poor sucker never could make a decision about which laptop to buy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Like I, I, I hear from a lot of people. And I, again, I, I the the concern is valid in many cases. But I also hear from a lot of people who are like, well, I was going to buy, buy an Eero, but now that they're owned by Amazon. No, I'm not going to do it. It's like, well, but if you were going to buy an Eero, you, you would have bought an Eero. It, you know, like, 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 let's just, let's just shine a light where, where it has yet to be shown. And like, okay, you did not buy it. There were other reasons. You didn't know they were being courted by Amazon. You know, you just didn't buy it. So that's mm-hmm. fine. Well, the flip side's also true. If you'd already bought a Nero, you'd go, no, I'm fine with Amazon. Exactly. Because you already bought a Nero. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think another piece of it is how often people change out their technology. So again, my friend Pat Dangler, she changes technology faster than I change underwear. I mean, she'll buy anything. Sure. And it's fine because, I mean, she's bought like seven drones and it's because she buys them she plays with them for six months she keeps all the packaging she sells it for 90 percent of what she bought for and buys the next thing but a lot of people aren't like that they buy it and they're like okay i'm gonna use this for a decade yeah so i gotta make sure you know and and then there's people in between so i think yeah. that's part of the reticence no it is it totally yeah. yeah 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 you just gotta pull the well, trigger sometimes I hate to cut this off because uh, you and I could talk for days and days and days, but this has been, you've I actually answered all of my questions. Awesome. Well, I hope it's helpful. It's really hard talking about some of this stuff without like pictures and trying to, you know, put images into your heads while you're listening. So I hope it was helpful for, for everybody listening. I do an audio podcast that's teaching programming where nobody can see what we're talking about. So. Yeah, I, I is, yeah, I bow to you for that. That's 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 <laughs> yeoman's work right there. That's hard stuff. Yeah. And in my world, this is chit chat across the pond light. So digging deep into mesh and talking about specs and stuff. That's a light episode. So that's fun. <laughs> yeah, this is about as geeky as it gets. So there you go. I love it. All right. If there's someone on the internet who doesn't know how to find you, got one or two or 12 places you want to plug? Uh, sure. Uh, MacGeekGab.com will always get you somewhere near me or, you know, you can find me Dave Hamilton on Twitter, but either one of All those right. is fine. Thank you so much. This was an absolute blast. Loved every minute of it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Good stuff. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Podfeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. 
It's a great way to help the No Castaways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other No Castaways. There's two great places to do that. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack, or you can join our Facebook group at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.